The Word of God from the letter to the Romans, chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not yield your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but yield yourselves to God as men who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Oh, the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. His ways are past finding out. We have reached this paragraph in our study of the book of Romans. And it is no accident that we are here today in God's timely providence. It is a word for those who are beginning the adventure of the Christian life as members of the church. And it is a word addressed to you as well who are struggling to make more and more sense out of your commitment to Christ and to grow as his disciples. It's a word to all of us. You'll recall that we've already seen that in God's own goodness we've been removed by faith out of Adam, our standing in him, and placed in Christ. That's our new position. The old man, that is the personality before Christ, has passed out of existence as dead. The body of sin which still lingers has been weakened. Indeed, we have moved out of the realm of sin into the realm of God, as Christ has, because we are linked to him in faith. Then in verse 12 comes that marvelous word of Paul's by the Spirit, Therefore, therefore is the connection between the doctrine and the deduction. The doctrine has been our standing in Christ. The deduction is what we are to do with that standing, how we are to live it out and make it actual. It is a great danger to be fascinated with doctrine and then refuse to apply it to daily living. It is a peril for anyone to be so interested in Christian doctrine and then never, never make that transition to how it actually is lived out in experience. Therefore, is our call to heed the transition from doctrine to duty. And I want to address you young people and, and all the others of your friends and family with that great therefore today. How then could we summarize the teaching of this paragraph. Could we say that the Christian glorifies God when he gives his body to be used as an instrument of righteousness? The Christian glorifies God 
when he gives his body to be used as an instrument of righteousness. Now we're confronted right away in verse 12 with a warning which we must handle together. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not yield your members to sin as instruments of wickedness. There's a strong warning. It means that our body has in it a problem. The problem is the residue of sin which remains in our mortal body even though we have been converted to Christ. Oh, it might have been nice, in our opinion, for God to have eradicated all sin from us when we became Christians, but that did not happen. And if anyone tells you that once for all you can have all sin removed from you in this life, do not believe him. That's not a teaching of the Word of God. Sin does linger in our mortal bodies. It is not in our personality, for the old man is passed out of existence. Sin cannot touch that new creature in Christ, but sin does linger in our members, in our bodies. And that does not refer only to the carnal, lustful sins, but it means that every power we have, every faculty, every talent, every emotion has in it the tinge of human sin. And therefore, sin has corrupted our bodies. When God made us, we were like fine gold. But now the Bible describes us as vile and lowly in body. And Paul later in this letter will be saying that the body groans inwardly for adoption as sons and waiting for the redemption of the body. Why did God leave sin in the body? Why didn't he just remove it? I think the reason is clear in Scripture. For one thing, he did not want us to forget that from which we had been rescued. He wanted us always to remember the horror of human sin from which we have been delivered. He wanted us as well to be able to glorify his name by the overcoming of transgressions one by one in our life. He wanted us to have a common ground with our neighbors who are not Christians. They too struggle against sins, as we do. And we now, though we come from a different perspective, we can share something with them. God has a purpose in allowing sin to cling to the mortal body though it does not invade the human and Christian personality. Yet we haven't dealt with that word reign. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. And the idea is that though sin has been rendered powerless, though it is gasping its last gasps of death as far as we are concerned, its life is only a lingering life. Nevertheless, sin has a great tenacity. And it, it clings to us. And it would invade our lives wherever we let it. And it would dominate us if we allow it. Indeed, if we keep close guard over our mind, sin will try to invade our thoughts and our imaginations. If we guard sin from our body, 
He will come into our souls. Sin tries to find an entrance wherever it can. And not only an entrance, but it tries to take the instincts which are good in themselves and turn them into lusts. Sin tries to get the supremacy in the Christian life so that Satan can render your life powerless, ineffective, joyless, and peace without any peace whatsoever. In fact, his goal is the destruction of your body. And so, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. This is the picture of a backslider. A backslider is a Christian who has allowed sin to enter his or her bodily functions in such a way that sin has gained the upper hand and that this Christian soul is now in slavery again, if it were possible, to the reign of sin. And no longer is this soul taking obedience to Christ as the central driving thrust of life, but now it is taking his commands from the presence of sin reigning in the mortal body. Do you see how utterly unthinkable this is? That a Christian soul for whom Christ gave his life, for whom Christ entered into this world without a place to lay his head to identify with our spiritual poverty, that this soul, redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, has handed over into the hands of the enemy of Christ his own body to be weapons of wickedness. That's treason to assist the enemy in time of war. And we are in great spiritual conflict. And whatever Christian takes the members of his body and puts them at the disposal of sin and Satan to hurl darts at the kingdom of Christ, our beloved Savior, whom we love and adore, is a traitor to the cause of Christ. This is backsliding. Now notice that the verb here, do not yield your members, has behind it the tense of continuing action. It doesn't mean the isolated sins that a Christian commits. You will sin. When you sin, you must repent immediately. Ask God's forgiving grace to flow over you. There will be isolated sins in our lives. Sins will affect every part of our being. But the backslider is the one in which he is continually placing the parts of his body and the powers of his life at the disposal of the enemy of Christ and allowing the enemy of Christ to use these members of his to wound the enterprise of our Savior. That is, this is the habitual pattern in the life of the backslider. And by that you may know today whether you are a backslider or not. So we have in the first section of this paragraph a clear warning about the problem of sin 
which exists in the body. It seeks to gain ascendancy over us. It seeks to make us traitors to Christ, to make us backslide and destroy us if that were possible. It's a great reality you must come to reckon with. But that's not where the passage dwells. Here Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, shows us a better way. And the better way is written there, Yield yourselves to God as men who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. What Paul is saying is that every believer is to present to God his new personality, his new being in Christ. You cannot yield your new personality to sin. You can yield your mortal body to sin, but you cannot yield your new being in Christ to sin. You can only take that and give it back to him who gave it to you, God himself. And that's what you're called to do. Yield, doesn't say yield your body here. It says yield yourselves to God as men who have been brought from death to life. And the picture is, of course, of a living sacrifice. Who wants to go back to the grave? We loathe the grave. We've been delivered from the grave. And having been raised with Christ, and having in our hands this precious new life, which he's given us, the appropriate thing to do is to take your new nature in Christ and present it to God. Yield it to him. Now, if you're trying to establish your own righteousness today, if some of us are seeking to enter the kingdom of heaven by reforming our lives or putting on religious acts and duties and trying in some way to earn our way into the kingdom of heaven, we can never present our new life to Christ because though we have all these outward trappings of religion, we are basically hypocrites. And there is no new life to give to Christ. Nothing there to present to him. In fact, at the heart of a person who is trying to earn his way to heaven, at the very core of his being is a hatred of God and of his grace. And so I urge you, leave off every effort at establishing your own righteousness, despise those things, and run to Christ and get from him a new life. And with that new life, you can honor him. Give it to him. This yielding of the new life is a great teaching of the word of God. It's the same word that we read of in Luke chapter 2, where Mary and Joseph went and presented the child Jesus in the temple. It's the same word. They yielded the child. They gave him over. They offered him up. They placed him at the disposal of God. And all through Scripture, this same word keeps reappearing. Whenever God wants something to be at his service, utterly available to him, utterly devoted to him, it's this word, yield. And so what God is calling for is a definite act of the will in which the believer takes his new life 
and gives it to God as a thank offering. Have you done that? I'm asking you to do it today. Present yourselves to God as men who have been brought from death to life. The next phrase goes on from that and builds upon it. Once a believer has presented himself, his new personality to God, then he's to go on and yield his members to God as instruments of righteousness. Now what does that mean? You see, it isn't enough to give our whole being to God in one act. That's a good beginning. But since we are responsible for the entire life we have, since every talent and power and ability we have is God-given, belongs to Him anyway, He wants us to yield up every part of our being to be an instrument, a weapon in His campaign. Think of that. Think of giving your eyes to God. Job did. He said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Think of taking your eyes and putting them at the disposal of God so that from now on you could see His Word. You could see the needs of others. You could see the beauty of His handiwork. Think of putting your ears in the hands of God, that you could hear His voice and the cry of the poor and discern the encouragement that comes from others. Think of putting your tongue at the disposal of God. It belongs to Him. No more worldly and foolish talk, but your tongue to lift up those that are weary, to magnify God, Think of your emotions, putting your emotions into the hands of God. Instead of seeking thrills for your emotional life and your own ecstasy, you begin to let your emotions soar when God soars, and you let your heart break when God's heart is broken, and your emotions are knit together with Him because they are utterly at His disposal. Present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. This is how you make your body count for God. You put every part of it at His disposal. You enlist yourself in His army. And you want your whole being to be weapons in the great arsenal of God in His movement against evil and wickedness and Satan. That's the proper use of a Christian's body. And this is a once-for-all event. That is, the way the verb is put in the original language here makes it clear that a Christian at a particular point, by an act of the will, says to God, the parts of my being belong to you. This is not sentimental. This is not flabby. This is not a person saying, the best way for me to live the Christian life is just retreat and be passive and do nothing. This is a vigorous and military word. Yield your members to God as weapons of righteousness. A once-for-all event. 
which is then reminded and reapplied every day. When temptation comes, you remind yourself these eyes have been given to God as his weapons. I can't use them in some other way. These hands belong to Christ. How can I do that with these hands that are his weapons, his instruments? And so you see, when temptation comes, it reinforces holiness. When you're tempted to be lazy and you look at your members as belonging to God, you gain industriousness. When you're tempted to be unholy, you gain chastity. When you're tempted to be angry, you learn gentleness. When you're tempted to be gluttonous, you learn obedience. You see, the Bible says that all things work together for good to them that love God. And that means temptation. For the Christian, temptation is a friend because when it comes and he meets it with the proper attitude that all his being belongs to Christ, temptation lifts him closer to Christ. And the whole experience of the Christian life is grist for the mill of sanctification. And so the more problems and trials you encounter as a Christian, the more character you build because your being and your members all belong to God. You're His forever. Ah, what a glorious opportunity and how good of God to give us some great reasons for doing it. The Lord almost never commands without giving motives. And here, he gives us the great reasons at the end. He says, you ought to do this, presenting of yourself and your members, you ought to do this for two reasons. The little Greek word for appears twice in this sentence. It doesn't in the RSV in English, but it's twice here. And whenever you see that Greek word for, look for one of God's powerful motives. And here they are. The first is glorious. It's future, future tense. Sin will have no dominion over you. Now, it doesn't mean that sin can't have a, a reign over you in this life. We already saw that he can in a backsliding Christian. What that means is that at the last day, when you are presented to Christ, he will remove from you the presence of all sin and you will stand without spot or blemish in his sight. That's your destiny. And so, Christian friend, don't just focus on where you are now. That may defeat you. Think of what you will be. I will be shining in splendid holiness someday, like Christ when I see him as he is. That's where I'll be. If then, that's where you're headed. And if sin is nothing but a temporary intruder that is trying to spoil the joy and power of life now, why have anything to do with it? Why bother with sin? Why let it defeat you when you're on the road to sinlessness with Christ? Sin will have no dominion over you. A glorious reality glorious truth. 
powerful incentive to personal holiness. The other great motive which God gives us here, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now what does that mean? This doesn't say the law. What it says is you're not under law, meaning by that, that every effort of yours to try to establish your own righteousness, every effort to seek out and be, be something before God in your own strength and right has failed, and you have forsaken it. You have left the realm of law, the realm of human achievement. You found out that you cannot work your way to heaven. And God, by his grace, delivered you out of trying to do so and brought you into the realm of grace. And in the realm of grace, there is power to deliver from sin, but not in law. The very purpose of law is to show you that you're unable to please God. That's why law exists. How then could law deliver you? It can't deliver you. But grace, grace inspires. Law tries to restrain, but who can overcome sin by restraint? Grace inspires. You cannot overcome sin in Mount Sinai. You've got to go to Mount Calvary to overcome sin. You're not under law. You're under grace. And as such, you have moved into the orbit of grace where a whole new atmosphere surrounds you. And the air you breathe is not of dread, but of blessing. Not of the fear of God, but of the energy of God. And of his great life sustaining and helping you and moving you toward holiness. You are under grace. You move in this new kind of climate where his new covenant is the charter and his law is written in your hearts and his purpose is being worked out in you. His word is in your hand. His people are at your side and his spirit is in you. Think of the resources of grace. You're not under law where you failed miserably. Don't try to gain holiness there. You're under grace. Oh, to grace how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace, now like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. All oh, the motives. It is so important that you do this today for the right reason. I'm going to call on you to present yourselves to God and your members as instruments of righteousness. But don't do that simply because you're having a problem in the Christian life. Don't look at your particular ills now, the struggles you're having. We're all having those. We look at those too much. Look at these powerful motives. I'm on my way to sinless heaven. Grace is my atmosphere. The glory of God is my end. Look away from your troubles and seek holiness, not so that you can have the satisfaction of holiness in itself, but so that you can glorify God. That's why you're here. That's the motive for holiness. Will you seek that?
You see, what God is asking is a strong, manly, positive commitment of his people for his own glory in which each one of them, beginning with your new friends and stretching to all of us, each one of us says, Lord, I yield myself and my members to you. If you're here today without Christ and you've never welcomed him into your life, don't make that commitment of presenting your body. You can't do that. You don't have a new life to give to Christ yet. What you need to do is forsake every effort of yours to please God in your own. Run to Christ. Receive the new life and give that to him along with your members. Or if you have been fascinated with doctrine and loving Christian insight and truth, but you've been short on applying that to daily life, I call on you today saying, you are in danger. Yield yourself to God and your members as instruments of righteousness. When you act on the light you have, God will give you more light. But until you do, your doctrine will become dead in your hands. Or if you're a backslider today, our Savior is so gentle with backsliders. If sin has gradually crept in and now instead of obeying God, you're obeying the passions of your own body, your own mind, I say to you, start all over again. Go back to the beginning. Repent of those sins that grip you. Call on Christ for his forgiving grace. He says, if anyone confesses his sin, God is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. Come running to Christ, backslider. Don't let Satan defeat you another moment. And to you young people, I call on you to lead the way. Yield yourselves to God and your members as instruments of righteousness, and we shall do it with you. Your bodies are either your hindrance or your weapon. If you are slaves to its passions, it will trip you. If you offer it to God as a weapon for righteousness, it will be your greatest joy. So come, let us pray. Lord, I offer myself to you, yielding and presenting all that I am for your disposal and your service. And I yield my members, every one, every power and faculty and talent I have, to be yours alone body and soul forever.
through Christ. Amen.